Hello, everybody. We don't have quite a smooth transition on that for a live show of virtual legality, but I wanted to try something a little bit different today for you all uh, because I just put up a virtual legality episode on the Elon Musk countersuit and Twitter transaction when a number of you reached out to me to discuss what is Microsoft coming down and attacking Sony in their Brazilian filings on Activision times Microsoft. Or did they? Right. One of the things we talk about a lot in virtual legality here is that everything is not always quite as aggressively positioned as some of these outlets would make it seem. Right. We talked about the fact that what Sony actually put forth in these Brazilian documents, which we'll talk about in this video, is what we would expect to see. That's in a prior video in this series in virtual legality that Sony says, look, Call of Duty is very important. It would hurt us if Call of Duty weren't on our system. But one of the things we also noted as part of that process was that Sony didn't go as far as they could have. If they really wanted to try to sink their teeth into Microsoft, they could have tried to establish that Game Pass and digital distribution and subscription services were their own market. And once you get the denominator of that market small enough, then what you're actually looking at is a Microsoft that is, of course, a monopolist provider of Game Pass. And then if you expand that a little bit, are they a monopolist provider of subscription services, digital distribution, cloud computing, anything else that they are putting forth to make their Xbox product more attractive? Sony didn't take that route. Sony answered a question from these Brazilian authorities that effectively asked, is there anything that's super special about what Activision makes? And Sony said, Call of Duty is pretty darn super special. And here's why they put all of their resources at it. They spend thousands of employees and tens of thousands of employee hours making this, and it would be very difficult to match. Of course, that's to their advantage, right? Sony wants to say that. Sony wants to make sure that they don't lose access to a major multi-platform release, and Sony is doing what businesses do. They're advantaging their own position, and that's, in fact, what we will see Xbox and Microsoft do in the summaries of the statements that they have just released to these very same Brazilian authorities. And yet, what we've got out here in terms of how this is reported are things like this, right? Here's VGC, a outlet that I like quite a bit. I've written for this outlet. I have used them in virtual legalities because I find them to be a very competent reporter of video game news, taking the clipbait route a little bit, right? Microsoft has shot down Sony's claims that its proposed acquisition of Activision Blizzard would be anti-competitive especially with regards to Call of Duty. Now, there's a number of things that are at issue here with this headline and subheadline, but not the least of which is if you go in and look, and this is a translated document, so we can't be 100% sure, Sony doesn't appear to call into question the competitiveness of Xbox's acquisition of Activision. They have their concerns. Hey, if Call of Duty would be stripped, then maybe more people would buy Xboxes. That is a legitimate concern. That is one that we can all kind of understand. And we understand intuitively that Xbox and Microsoft spent or are about to spend close to $70 billion for some reason or another, right? That they think there's some value in the proposition. And so they choose to make money on it this way. And Sony says, hey, they might try to kill our console. But as we talked about in that earlier video, anti-competition uh, is not a problem for anti-competitors, that you're not just barring people from competing and destroying their competition. You're trying to preserve the concept of competition with these laws in various jurisdictions around the world. And so Sony saying, hey, this might pull market share from us and bring it over to Xbox isn't in and of itself a major concern. Right. If we're looking at this from afar, you say, yeah, they're spending money. They're competing more strongly with you, Sony. Make a better value proposition. Do something better 
with your platform, get something better out to your consumers. And otherwise, everything's working like it should. Microsoft's competing with you. You're losing micro market share and you're going to try to compete with them. And we move on from there. But people like to get excited about these things. People like to console war a little bit. And I thought a live broadcast of this might be a useful way to have this discussion so that anybody that wants to can ask me questions, can otherwise <laughs> become members of the channel. Hello, Marianne Williams. Welcome as a member. Uh, and otherwise engage with this in a different way than we uh, engage with other virtual legalities. As you may know, if you've followed the channel for a little while now, we've started a live stream early on in the day, most weekdays called Hangouts and Headlines. And so I've been uh, kind of playing around with this format. And I think that we can do certain of these videos that might have more questions or more interactivity or just be more live to what's happening in the video game, technology, pop culture, or other worlds so that you all can you know, talk to me about these various things and not just be a talking head in the corner that you have to leave comments on the video uh, to get your questions answered. So if you do have a question, if you have something to jump in, I will try to monitor the chat and otherwise engage. I know some people don't like this format of virtual legality. You saw me do this a little bit with the Elon Musk lawsuit because I think it gets a little shaggy dog, but I think this conversation is important and I love to build up a community and have these conversations with you. So with that said, try to mark something as question, try to mark something as at hoag law. Obviously we'll see memberships and super chats, but those aren't necessary just to get my attention. Otherwise I will be talking through some of this stuff and I won't necessarily have eyes on the chat 100% of the time Let's look at some of this reporting. So here's VGC, not even going with shot down or anything like that in their headline in their actual article. They say Microsoft refutes Sony's claims that its Activision acquisition is anti-competitive. The claims are simply unjustifiable under any quantitative or qualitative analysis, the Xbox company says. That's specifically about Call of Duty, but there's already certain things that are jumping out of this headline. So as part of this process, and I think most of you probably understand that if you've been with us for a little while, these are documents that are submitted to a regulatory agency, uh, right? And these are documents that are submitted by Sony, by Ubisoft, by Amazon, by Microsoft in the interests of their own selves. And so they internally go and say, what are the answers that we want to give here? What is truthful, obviously, but what advantages us to the most extent. And so Sony puts in something that says Call of Duty is super important. We would hate to lose it because we think that would be a problem for us. And Microsoft goes and responds to it and says, no, no, it wouldn't be a problem. And we're going to talk about the hundred reasons why we don't think it's an issue. And that is exactly how the process should work, right? They're both talking to these government regulatory agencies. They're both advancing their own positions and nobody's getting shot down. Nobody's refuting uh, anything else, at least not definitively so. They are advancing their own perspective on all of these state of affairs. And that's exactly what we should expect. So I don't like shutdown. I don't like refutes. I don't like these concepts here because ultimately we don't know what anybody's going to decide at the regulatory agency's level. I continue to say, as I have said in this space for a long, long time, that I think this deal will go through. I don't think Microsoft is a monopolistic market share presenting threat in the various industries that it's participating in. And yet... It's not a 100% chance, as you might hear from certain factors. It's not necessarily going to finish up in a month from now, as you might hear from certain corners of the internet. But Microsoft has a well-reasoned response to what Sony has said. And I also want to mention here as part of this episode that this is not a document that I can read, right? This is a Brazilian document. It is written in what I believe to be Portuguese. And so we are dependent on translations and other things. And I want to give a shout out to... IDAS at Reset Era, who initially 
responded with some of these translations of the documents that we looked at in an earlier video, and they deserve all the credit in the world. We will link this eventually when this all gets done being archived in the description here so that we can talk about it. But they have done a wonderful job of highlighting and translating the materials. And since when I first looked at this document, all the translations basically lined up with their summaries, I didn't go through and separately translate. Uh, and we're going to take on faith that many of these translations are accurate. That means you do have to take it with a grain of salt, but I have no reason to believe that they are otherwise not accurate. We do have a super chat question here. Do you think ABK and Bethesda are siloed under Xbox for future worries to help smooth over the FTC? If they worry about Xbox, they can split them up easier. I think what you're asking is Bethesda at issue. And we're going to talk about that a little bit as part of this document, right? Xbox is recently off a major acquisition in the ZeniMax deal itself, has Bethesda, has it, has a whole bunch of other companies under its belt. And one of the things that you have heard over the past year of kind of analyzing this deal, and thank you so much for the super chat, is that maybe Bethesda can come into play. And I have made videos that say, look, when the Federal Trade Commission, which is the agency in the United States that is looking at this question, winds up analyzing and asking Microsoft for some concessions in a consent decree. And I do believe that will happen. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. It is possible, it is conceivable that they could go forward and say, well, we want you to also make sure that the Elder Scrolls Six is released on multiple platforms. It is within their power to make that request because there's basically no bounds on what requests they can make. Again, all on the premise that they have a legitimate way to say, Microsoft, this deal is otherwise a violation of the antitrust laws of the United States of America. And if you don't agree to X, Y, and Z, we will sue you to block this transaction. And then you've got bluff calling and all these various things. But once the FTC makes that determination to go and say, look, we're willing to try to block this, then and only then can Microsoft and the FTC engage in a settlement and what we call a consent decree that says we agree to the following. Now, we'll look at Microsoft's answers on a bunch of this stuff, but one of the things that's really important to understand as background information for all of this is that Microsoft has basically already signaled out to the public that they are willing to accept a consent decree that requires them to release Call of Duty on multiple platforms. Now, obviously, in a contract, that could take any number of different forms. How long does it have to be released? Is there an obligation to make Call of Duties? All sorts of things that the lawyers would have to work out. But Microsoft, very early on in this process, started a PR campaign that basically said, look, we have no intention of taking Call of Duty off these multiple platforms. It makes us so much money. And we don't think that should require a consent decree. But that's not how regulatory agencies work. Regulatory agencies say, OK, great. You have already conceded in public that you are willing to release these things on a multi-platform. So it shouldn't be a problem for you to sign a contract to that effect. Right? And so I fully expect that the FTC, which is clearly going through a political shift that we have talked about in multiple videos here in virtual legality, will say at bare minimum, it is politically useful for us to look like we are doing something in this transaction and you to sign the consent decree that says you will keep Call of Duty on multiple platforms, something that you've already agreed with and said will be fine. That position is only hardened here with what we're going to see, at least as translated in the documents that Microsoft has filed with these Brazilian authorities. Uh, and so I fully expect there to be a consent decree. The question then becomes, is there something more in that consent decree? Is there what Michael Pactor has suggested that maybe they go back and look at Zenimax? Maybe they require the price of Game Pass to stay at a certain level for a number of years. I don't know that they will go that far. I suspect that they won't. Uh, because I think that Microsoft would have a pretty good case to challenge their authority to actually block the deal. 
were it to come down to it. Again, the FTC is not the final arbiter of this. The FTC says, we believe you're in violation of the Sherman Act. We believe you're in violation of the Clayton Act. And so we are going to uh, sue you in federal court to prevent this deal from going through. And Microsoft can say, all right, we think we can take you. At that point, consent decree talks are off and a giant federal lawsuit commences with billions and billions and billions of dollars on the line. And then we get another playlist to add here to virtual legality. I don't think that's likely to happen. I think Microsoft is clearly using its lobbying muscle. It's gotten ahead of this in terms of presenting itself as a good corporate citizen and a white knight of video games and otherwise answered every question that we can see publicly in the way that we would expect. And yet you don't know what you don't know when it comes to the Federal Trade Commission or the EU or Brazil or New Zealand or anywhere else. And that's why everybody's taking this super seriously. So let's take a look at this reset error thread. Again, full credit to Idas. I will uh, link this in the description to the video. It says, well, here we go again. I looked at these prior answers. They're going to give a summary of what we've already talked about in virtual legality, which was Sony's initial response. I highlighted a couple of them here. They say game development typically involves an early stage that is neutral before they actually select platforms and exclusivity. All games compete for engagement. Available content is a main factor for players to choose as a platform. Few barriers to entry in game development. We have all kinds of indie successes, but creating a high-end AAA game requires hundreds of millions of dollars and tens of thousands of employees. And there are only a few developers that can actually get that done, like EA, Take-Two, Rockstar, Epic, etc. Despite all this, Sony believes that none of those developers could actually create a franchise to rival Call of Duty, which they say stands out as a gaming category on its own. We talked about this. We looked at it. We think it's a little bit hyperbolic, right? We talked about it in the Virtual Legality episode where we mentioned Sony's comments here. They are clearly gilding the lily. They're clearly making it a little bit more important than it otherwise probably is, but with good backing in terms of data and information. Call of Duty wins the sales race basically every year. It is the first person shooter of choice for what seems to be the vast bulk of the gaming audience. And so Sony can go out with a statement like this one and they can be largely right, even if we consider to ourselves, what about Battlefield? Heck, what about Halo? What about Destiny? What about anything else where you're taking a gun, putting a camera on a head and shooting at other things across the distance? Aren't those at least partial substitutes for what Call of Duty is? And aren't there a lot of developers that could make something like Call of Duty? And the answer Sony has given is, well, no, the brand is that powerful. The loyalty is that strong. And Microsoft uses that as the way in which they say, well, that's not an argument, really. And I'm not sure that Microsoft is wrong. Sony doubles down on that, says it's a unique franchise that can't be replaced. And they agree that subscription services compete with games purchased for a one-time fee. This is much more important, in my opinion, than anybody reporting on it or this particular poster on Reset Era has given it credit for. Sony 1,000% could have said that Game Pass and subscription services were a different market. In fact, that's in all likelihood the best avenue to actually attack this deal as anti-competitive. And Sony elected not to do that. And you can argue that's out of their own self-interest, and I wouldn't tell you you're wrong there either, as they try to figure out both the naming convention that makes sense for PlayStation Plus and an actual market that can compete with Game Pass with that service. They don't want to have this boomerang back on them with any statements that would suggest that those subscription services are their own market. Yet, they could have potentially tried to use it to block a Microsoft deal of this type, because ultimately what they're really worried about is that Call of Duty gets locked into that subscription service. Subscription services take over all of the gaming industry and Sony gets left out in the cold. Maybe that's okay. Maybe that is competitive, but it's not something that we can just dismiss out of hand. And so Sony at least has a cognizable argument here to actually say, well, this could be a problem.
They thought the lower upfront cost of subscription services could be anti-competitive in relation to publishers who recoup the significant investments in games by selling them for an upfront fee, and that that could harm consumers by reducing the quality of the games. We know this to be Sony's philosophy. I tend to disagree with Sony on this, but it's not an unreasoned philosophy to say, look, we spend all this money upfront. We're not sure we can ever get it back in a subscription service. And frankly, this is always read between the lines. We're not sure that Microsoft is getting it back. Their numbers aren't transparent. Their numbers aren't clear. And they say Game Pass is making money. But on a given project basis for something actually costing $100 million plus million, can they recoup that investment? And Sony says, we don't think they can. Microsoft says, of course we can. This is perfect. This is great. But they can be subsidizing their Game Pass initiative and at least specific products within that initiative with money from their giant multinational trillion dollar corporation. Sony says, we don't have $2 trillion in market capitalization to fight on that. So this could be seen as what amounts to a predatory kind of model designed to kill competition against us. They don't quite say that, but it is read between the lines. They also say Call of Duty represents an important revenue stream for the PlayStation, uh, and it's one of SIE's biggest sources of revenue from third parties. And then we get into Microsoft's response. We're going to come back to this document, but we want to give VGC the chance to explain their headline and subheadline. Before we do, though, does anybody have any comments or questions just from what we've talked about so far, which is basically the summary of what Sony has said? I do want to make sure that we're at least trying to be a little bit interactive in this space with a live virtual legality, uh, much to the chagrin, I'm sure, of the people that are going to be listening to this on a podcast and saying, "What? Why? Why is he talking to random people in the midst of uh, one of his uh, one of his descriptions of everything?" But if none, we can proceed on to what VGC says about Microsoft. So they say last month, Sony told Brazil's regulatory body Cade, which is investigating the acquisition, that the acquisition could influence players to switch from PlayStation to Xbox. Note that they frame that as Sony's claim that it's anti-competitive. <laughs> Moving people from one product in a market to another is kind of the definition of competitive. And Sony has concerns about subscription services, but one says they're the same market, and two really doesn't frame this as necessarily anti-competitive. It's just the way people like to discuss this. At the time, it argued Call of Duty is so popular that it influences users' choice of console, and its community of loyal users is entrenched enough that even if a competitor had the budget to develop a similar product, it would not be able to rival it, that it has taken over a market called Call of Duty and realistically Battlefield and at all can't enter it and subsume it. I think that's wrong. I think the history of video games has shown that there are games that are popular and then there is whatever the killer game is that takes over that popularity, right? There used to be a GoldenEye 64 killer and then a Halo killer, and someday there'll be a Call of Duty killer and the market will move on with a new product, which is effectively what Microsoft winds up saying while also defending its near $70 billion acquisition. In the report, Microsoft noted that while numerous third parties, including Ubisoft and Bandai Namco, gave responses, Sony was the only company that claimed Call of Duty was in a genre of its own with no competition. Only one third party, Sony, presented materially different opinions than the applicants and the other third parties consulted by the SG, the, the agency. Sony is isolated in this understanding and curiously even contradicts itself in its response to the letter, as will be detailed below. Now, we said Sony is probably hyperbolizing with respect to Call of Duty's presence and importance in the video gaming market, right? We can say that. We can also say that Microsoft is maybe not being 100% honest or truthful about why it is that Sony alone might have a different response to concerns about buying up a publisher than Ubisoft or Amazon or Riot Games, right? It's clear enough 
that in terms of likely substitutes, the Xbox and the PlayStation are a cut above and very different than people that are just making video games like Ubisoft or Riot or anybody else, that Sony and Xbox really are in competition for market share and a very similar type of market share. And so it should be no surprise that Sony, of all people, have the biggest concern about its main rival purchasing up a major source of its revenue and what will happen to them after that purchase is completed. So Microsoft is trying to say, well, they don't have it all the same answers as Ubisoft or Bandai Namco. And I don't find that to be a rhetorically useful stance for Microsoft to take. Microsoft claimed that Sony doesn't want to see Call of Duty games on Game Pass on day one because it is, quote unquote, resentful of having to compete with Microsoft's subscription service. This will be translated a little bit differently in the reset era post, but it's interesting. I just told you that Sony doesn't come across as terribly aggressive in their answers to the Brazilian authorities. They answer it to their benefit, that's to be expected, but they don't seem to be antagonistic towards Microsoft or its deal making. Microsoft comes out swinging a little bit more here. Now, I don't think anybody gets shot down. These are just documents that are filed with a regulatory body, but they do come across, at least as translated here, as more aggressive, resentful is a heck of a word. And I'd be curious as to what exactly the Portuguese word is for that in this translation. Sony's public statements on subscription games and its response to the agency's letter are clear. Sony does not want attractive subscription services to threaten its dominance in the digital distribution market for console games, the buy-to-play model. In other words, Sony rails against the introduction of new monetization models capable of challenging its business model. This is a fair kind of description to what Sony said and how Sony has been operating. But the unfairness is that Sony appears to have a legitimate philosophical concern that these things can't make the money necessary to deliver the video game quality that consumers have grown to expect. That Ghost of Tsushima or Spider-Man or God of War or whatever can't justify their own existence in a video game industry that is dominated by that model. Now, to some extent, as a corporate lawyer, as a mergers and acquisitions guy, I say, I'm not sure that's Microsoft's problem, right? I don't think necessarily that if that model is just not delivering the same kind of content that it used to, that Microsoft should be overly concerned about that because in general, that should play out, right? If Microsoft can't deliver the same level of quality in the long run, then quality should otherwise make itself known to the consumers and there'll be just distinct models that are operating in distinct gardens uh, and the consumers can choose which way they wanna go with that. But Sony isn't wrong to argue the point either because we've seen certain of these types of arguments at least win the hearts and minds of legislatures around the world, including with respect to Epic versus Apple, where Epic says, hey, we should be allowed to crack into the app store and do various things. And Apple says, look, this is our product. We wanna treat things differently and we think it would lower our quality. And Epic isn't currently winning that antitrust lawsuit, but Epic is clearly winning those hearts and minds of legislatures and getting things passed in the EU. And one would anticipate in the long run, the United States that will say Apple's not allowed to run the way they otherwise want to run. Now, is that an antitrust concern? I would argue it isn't. I argued it for however many episodes there are in our Epic versus Apple series. But when we're talking about this, could you make the claim that the subscription service model will fundamentally have the race to the bottom effect that will reduce consumer quality of goods. I say maybe, maybe Sony's right. I tend to disagree, but maybe they're right. The countervailing argument to that is who cares? 
right? If consumers are self-selecting for lower price and lower quality as a bundle, that is their ambit. As competitive folks, we are wanting to have the consumers get to decide, hey, do I want a cheap fan for $5 or a fancy fan for $500? Even if the model of the fan for $5 destroys the market for the expensive fan, it's our choice. That's what the market decided. And so that's what Microsoft is effectively saying is they rail against this new business model. They don't specifically, at least in the quoted sections here, talk about the quality concerns, uh, but it's not Microsoft's problem, right? So I tend to think that's a pretty good argument for the existing state of antitrust regulatory authority, at least in the United States, as I know it. Not a Brazilian lawyer, I should point out as we continue on. With those quotes, let's go back to what IDAS is going to talk about with respect to Microsoft. He says, this is how Microsoft responds. For starters, MS understands, and it's, it's important to say MS claims here because there are legitimate legal arguments that the relevant markets defined during the Bethesda acquisition are still relevant. That means no segmentation by genre and that the market for digital distribution of games includes both buy-to-play and other subscription services. And then the parenthetical added is they don't want Game Pass perceived as their own market because they would have huge market share there. And I don't think he means just Game Pass, I mean subscription services, uh, right? That Game Pass is the dominant force in that subscription service market. They would have a very high portion of that market share. That's what we mean when we talk about reducing the denominator to only those descriptors. And because of that, they don't want to have those as separate markets. Now, they might be. One of the ways that you separate markets in the long run is by business model, that you don't necessarily share markets if different consumers would go into different markets, that you don't have a substitution there if you're talking about a completely different business model. But everybody in the market agrees that they are the same market for this purpose, and so Microsoft has basically a safe play there. They further say that Microsoft and Activision will face competition from a number of game developers and publishers. That's undoubtedly true. In addition, all of their games have close competitors. In fact, the third parties named several rival third-party publishers who own popular game franchises, demonstrating the intense rivalry in the market. I tend to think Microsoft has the better part of this, that Call of Duty will not reign supreme forever and ever and ever, and that a good game will eventually come out, and then it will be the king on the hill. In fact, Microsoft highlights arguments from Ubisoft, Riot, Amazon, and Google that confirm some of their arguments. Post-transaction, there will be multiple developers and publishers and players that use multiple devices to play. Yes, nobody is really questioning that. Uh, and that is by far Microsoft's strongest argument and the reason I think the deal will ultimately go through. Microsoft says that in all the relevant markets, they will have a market share of less than 20%. There's only market where they will have more than that is the digital distribution of games where they will have 30%. Again, if you separated out subscription services, they undoubtedly have a much higher percent there. And then we get into their talking about Sony. Microsoft literally says that, not surprisingly, Sony was the only third party to convey public opinion materially different from Microsoft and Activision and the third parties regarding the competitive analysis of the transaction. Again, Sony is the only party remotely similarly situated to Microsoft in this market. So I am not convinced by that particular piece of rhetoric. According to Microsoft, Sony said that one, Activision Blizzard's Call of Duty franchise would be unrivaled and essential for the PlayStation console, and two, the inclusion of Activision Blizzard content in the Xbox Game Pass catalog would represent a tipping point in the market. Microsoft believes that Sony's isolated position can likely be explained by the fact that Microsoft's subscription game offering Game Pass was launched as Microsoft's competitive response to Xbox's failure in the console wars and the need to offer players additional value compared to the buy-to-play traditional model. In this way, Game Pass threatens to compete more effectively with the buy-to-play model, which Sony has successfully adopted. And this is Microsoft's main thesis of the generation, 
right? This is the main question and the most interesting question that has been posed to this generation since its inception, which is Microsoft has decided not to compete on walled garden consoles any longer and is competing primarily for recurring revenue through a subscription service. And what does that mean for video games? To my mind, it offers choice. If Sony's right that quality can't otherwise abide on a service like this, that should be shown out in the long term at the Xbox level. But Sony's legitimate concern, and they don't quite voice it here, is that Microsoft has a ton of cash to spare. So how long can they otherwise subsidize a problematic solution if it turned out to be problematic in order to undercut their main rival in the industry? And so Sony, I think, has always legitimately had a concern there, but it's not transparent. Who knows exactly what Microsoft is going to do here? Who knows if they're right about this model? And with those kinds of question marks, I would argue it is entirely appropriate for the regulatory agencies to say, we don't want to get in there and block a deal that we just simply don't know what is going to happen in the long term. But Sony isn't crazy to suggest that the Game Pass subscription model isn't long time tenable, no matter what Microsoft or Phil Spencer's leather jacket would otherwise have you believe. Almost literal, Idas continues, in short, Sony is not resigned to having to compete with Microsoft's subscription service. Sony's public outcry on subscription games and the company's response are clear. Sony doesn't want attractive subscription services to threaten its dominance in the market for digital distribution of console games. In other words, Sony rails against the introduction of new monetization models capable of challenging its business model. This is aggressive stuff, right? Sony has said, Call of Duty is important to it. We're a little bit concerned about subscription services. And Microsoft starts throwing haymakers about how much of a dinosaur Sony is and that they can't get out of the tar in order to compete with their vastly superior business model. And certainly, while I don't think anybody's been shot down because Microsoft isn't the final arbiter of truthfulness in the world, this is significantly more aggressive than I would have anticipated. Good citizen Microsoft just trying to get the deal across the finish line to be in a document like this one. So I'm very thankful to have the translation here and I'm very thankful to be able to look at this because it's worth noting about Call of Duty being its own category of games. Microsoft says that Sony's argument seems to assume that the publishing and development market should be segmented based on genre and type, but that Call of Duty would be a genre and market of its own. I don't think it does that. I think that you can have a super game that doesn't depend on defining the entire market by genre and Call of Duty is a first person shooter for that purpose. That is just a super game, right? That Call of Duty does stand alone. That Fortnite to some extent stands alone, separate from being a battle royale game. And you can have these games that have such cachet or network effects and more that we should at least consider thinking about them differently. Even if I think that Microsoft has eh, the better part of it. Microsoft believes that Sony does not present any element to substantiate the claim that Call of Duty would be a separate market from all other categories of games. Sony is limited to commenting on Call of Duty's brand strength and loyalty and engagement. However, claiming that Call of Duty has a loyal following is a premise from which the conclusion that the game is a category of games in itself does not follow. The PlayStation itself has a foundation established by players loyal to the brand. Take that, Sony. This finding, however, does not lead to the conclusion that the PlayStation or any branded product with loyal consumers is a separate market from all other consoles. Extrapolating from such a finding, the extreme conclusion that Call of Duty is a game category in itself is simply unjustifiable under any quantitative or qualitative analysis. And again, the Brazilian authorities asked if there were any games that were really special. 
that Activision made. And Sony responded to that by saying, this is a very special game, primarily because of the stickiness of it, right? If you've ever been in an economics class, you know what Sony is saying here primarily is, look, Call of Duty has company after company after company thrown in its to, to its creation. It already exists. So it has that first mover advantage. It is sitting on the top of the throne and Activision pours resources into making Call of Duty. So it would be so damn expensive to actually try to compete with this thing with no guarantee of success that for the most part, people aren't even willing to try to take the shot to get to it. And so that's why it's so darn important. Microsoft knows this inherently. Microsoft knows why it's spending almost $70 billion to get Call of Duty among other assets like King and their mobile games. But Microsoft is kind of playing it a little chill. Call of Duty is just a game, y'all. And while I think that Call of Duty can be dethroned in the long run, I do think Sony is right to suggest that it is special in some ways, that it has dominated the charts for so, so very long that it is worth looking at specially. Besides, Microsoft believes that Call of Duty has several rivals as corroborated by the companies consulted by Cade and the confidential data shared. Who knows whether those are legitimate rivals? Certainly there are games that try to be modern warfare-esque and first-person shootery, none that have actually taken much of the market share for Call of Duty itself. Sony also suggested that Call of Duty is essential for game publishers. To answer that, Microsoft shares lots of redacted data, so we don't get to see the details there. Uh, Microsoft also says that in 2021, only two Activision Blizzard titles ranked among the top 20 best-selling console games of the year. And I believe it. I think Activision basically only makes Call of Duty at this point in time. Therefore, Microsoft believes that Call of Duty is just one game among a wide range of best-selling games, many of which are not even available on Xbox due to exclusivity strategies adopted by Microsoft's competitors. So you can see them rhetorically swinging around now which we saw in the comments to my video, we've seen in the comments to various people talking about this issue at length on the internet, which is, whoa, whoa, whoa. Sony, are you seriously going to advance a logical concept that you are against exclusivity when I sit here with my exclusive copy of Final Fantasy VII Remake playing my exclusive copy of Tango Gameworks owned by Microsoft, uh, Ghostwire, uh, Tokyo, or otherwise enjoying the other exclusives that you have purchased for me using your sack of cash for any number of years, including within the Call of Duty franchise? Is that is that the direction you're going, Sony? And Microsoft says, yeah, let's talk about that a little bit about how essential Call of Duty could be, they say that Sony contradicts itself because they talked about the success of Game Pass since 2017. The thing is that until now, none of the Activision Blizzard titles have been included in Game Pass, but the service has managed to attract and engage millions of players. So if Game Pass proved successful without making this type of game available, logically such content cannot be considered essential for a game distribution channel to be competitive. Nope. Nope, Microsoft. I'm not giving you that one. Because Cetris Paribus, when you're launching Game Pass in 2017, Call of Duty is multi-platform. And other games that are popular are multi-platform. You launch it into a universe where Sony doesn't have unilateral rights to have Call of Duty on their service. Sony is talking, in this case, about a situation where you could possibly have unilateral rights to some of the most important multi-platform previously console titles in the world. And so nothing that Sony said is illogical on this. I do appreciate the cleverness. I like where your regulatory and legal head is at and trying to swing this, but it's not accurate because the world of 2017 would not be the world of 2022 plus, especially if you sucked all of Bethesda and Activision into Game Pass and didn't let anything out ever. 
right? That is a markedly different world than the one that you're talking about when you built Game Pass up as what you described, at least as summarized in VGC, as your conclusion after losing a battle among equals on the console and buy-to-play front. According to MS, the same can be said for Nintendo's console platform and Epic Games' PC store, which stood out despite not having games from the Call of Duty franchise available. In virtually completely different markets, PC sales and what, what Nintendo. And Nintendo isn't even in the video game market. They're in the Nintendo market. I don't know what to tell you about it, except Splatoon 3. Looks good. Very excited. For Microsoft, the reasons above indicate that Sony is apprehensive about the increased competition on the merits of the transaction entails, rather than worried about any anti-competitive effect. That's, that's basically what they said. Sony said that. Sony said, we're concerned that this will eat into our market share. They were honest about that. Finally, Microsoft says that Sony's hypothetical concern appears to be what Activision Blizzard content, Microsoft would gain an unattainable lead in subscription services. They say that this is unfounded for five reasons. One, it is not part of Microsoft's strategy to remove content from players. On the contrary, Microsoft has publicly stated its desire to keep Call of Duty on Sony's PlayStation, as well as the intention to continue to make Call of Duty and other popular Activision Blizzard titles on Sony's PlayStation with the commitment to do so in addition to existing contractual arrangements restricted. In this regard, players will continue to have access to Activision Blizzard content, including Call of Duty through traditional buy-to-play channels such as the PlayStation console. This fact reduces players' incentives to migrate to Game Pass as they will be able to continue subscriptions to their preferred service like Sony's PlayStation Plus and, in addition, easily buy a copy of Call of Duty. Perhaps, right? We have Microsoft come out with that publicly earlier in the year, but there's nothing binding them to that commitment without a consent decree, which is realistically what we're talking about with respect to a response to a Brazilian regulatory authority. And further, we have winks and nudges and Starfield and Elder Scrolls about, well, we didn't buy Bethesda for no reason. And while we are going to maintain our existing contractual commitments, don't expect to play these things on another console. Right, Microsoft has the dual problem here of presenting as good guy citizen Microsoft right now, while also with the assets that they bought saying, hey, we might not release those on multiple consoles. And so again, I'm sitting here as a corporate attorney defending Microsoft saying, yeah, you spent those billions of dollars on something. You don't have to release Starfield on Sony if you don't want to, but it is not Sony being crazy and sitting in the corner and saying you might take these games away when you just spent greater than a year saying, oh yeah, these games are taken away. That's why we bought them. So Sony got this concession in public. That's going to be a part of a consent decree because that concession is important. Two, data shows that players see subscription services as one of the many ways in which one can pay for games. According to Microsoft, this was concerned by Sony itself. SIE believes that subscription services compete with games purchased for a one-time fee. The games are substantially the same, regardless of whether the consumer made a one-time payment or accessed the titles through a subscription service. Microsoft says that Sony's statement reveals the illogic of the claim that the addition of Activision games to this content would represent a tipping point. According to Microsoft, if subscription services compete with the buy-to-play model as recognized by Sony itself, and Activision content will continue to be distributed through the buy-to-play channel, again, if it's mandated to be so, then players can simply continue to choose which payment model they prefer to access Activision content. And yeah, Microsoft brings up a good point here, and it's probably part of the reason why internally they've decided to release Call of Duty on the multiple consoles, but they're going to they're gonna be made to do this by one regulatory body or another. I can almost guarantee it. We don't make guarantees here in virtual legality. You don't make promises as a lawyer, but it seems very, very likely that they will be asked to actually commit to this contractually and then what, right? 
if subscription services are the future, Sony might just be out of luck because the only subscription service will have Call of Duty. But if they aren't the future, then you can buy Call of Duty using the Sony model and Microsoft has the better part of it. Number three, Microsoft says that Sony's insinuation that Game Pass could achieve unattainable leadership in the subscription services space is not only inconsistent with the market definition that Sony itself defended, (laughs) using their words back at them. You wonder if Sony is sitting back in their office saying, maybe we should have fought for Game Pass as a separate market because the fact that we didn't is being used as a cudgel against us by Microsoft. It also ignores, quote, the dynamic nature of these services and the relevant presence of Sony itself in this space. In fact, subscription services represent a recent monetization strategy. As much as Game Pass has been a pioneer, it is a dynamic space with new services and content emerging, and there are already a number of incumbents and services. Sony already offers a subscription service in PlayStation Plus, which the company has been able to scale from its existing user base, the size of the PlayStation platform, and its exclusive content. In fact, Sony has surpassed Microsoft in terms of console sales and installed base, having sold more than twice as many Xboxes in the last generation. I don't find that to be terribly compelling either, especially when earlier on we talked about the fact that Game Pass exists because they lost on the console sales basis. And so that's why Game Pass is moving forward as it is. Can Sony compete? Maybe. We want to see Sony compete. We want to see Microsoft compete. But I don't think that Sony's definition here makes the case uh, for Sony. And Sony is wise to be concerned that if enough stuff gets sucked into Game Pass exclusivity, that that could tip the scales on this burgeoning marketplace, which I think Sony would agree with as a definition. I also want to say hi to Britt Cormier. Thank you for the super chat, Britt. Hey, Hogue, I would say I missed you this morning. However, that would be lying. Always very nice to see you, Britt. Yep, no headlines this morning, but a live virtual legality is just as good, right? We're having fun here. MS believes that what Sony fails to mention when it insinuates that Game Pass could achieve unattainable leadership in subscription services is its own leadership position in digital distribution of console games. Sony is, in fact, the largest digital distributor of console games. Therefore, Sony's concern with the potential competition of Game Pass simply reflects the usual resistance of traditional incumbents to competition on merit represented by disruptive players. <laughs> Microsoft presenting as the little guy underdog. Uh, for the first time in quite a while. Incumbent Sony is just worried about our scrappiness. I can't say that they're wrong, uh, but I do think Sony has legitimate concerns. And as a game player, I too have legitimate concerns about whether this model can actually improve consumers' relationships with games and the games that they receive in the long run. Microsoft also says that this complaint to services such as Game Pass also reveals Sony's real concern The fear that an innovative business model that gives consumers access to high quality content and lower upfront costs threatens its position as leadership in the gaming industry, with Microsoft moving away from a device-centric business strategy towards a more consumer-centric. I I would argue it's a a revenue-centric, it's a subscription services-centric. I wouldn't frame either of these business models as gamer-centric, but more power to you, uh, Microsoft. Uh, And why are you making me defend Sony, who I think is out of touch on this so much with your answers? Uh, But Microsoft is saying here that they view Sony as those dinosaurs stuck in the tar. Microsoft quotes the interview with Jim Ryan, where he revealed the company's strategy of not including new titles, uh, which, according to Microsoft, clearly exposes resistance to a business model that threatens the device-centric strategy. No, it doesn't. Reasonable minds can differ on this, folks. And while I tend to agree with Microsoft and Phil Spencer and their cadre of management, it doesn't mean that Sony is lying about their position or is otherwise pretextually stating these things. You could absolutely look at the numbers in the creation of a video game and say, I don't see how this math works. And I can't tell you sitting here in the fall of 2022 that Sony is wrong. 
Now, if Microsoft can deliver everything that you, me, and Baby McGee want, fantastic. I'm thrilled for it. But I think it is okay to have doubts about that process. Four, reason number four is totally redacted. Something about numbers, revenue, business, something like that. Five, Microsoft says there is a strong upstream competition, rival game distribution channels, including console stores and subscription services that have access to a wide range of titles in addition to Activision Blizzard games, including content not available to Microsoft consumers. They talk about the new PlayStation Plus. They also point out that the use of exclusive arrangements has been at the heart of Sony's strategy to strengthen its presence in the gaming industry. How dare you, Sony, accuse us of using exclusives to get around it? Of course, the difference is one of quantity, not quality, right? Sony has absolutely been using exclusives, as has Xbox. But there is a distinction between buying up the whole damn company and otherwise signing an exclusive, generally of a temporary nature and generally for a specific product. That you can cross the Rubicon somewhere in between signing the exclusive rights to a Tomb Raider game and buying all of Square Enix, right? That you can actually say those are probably distinct in the business world. And we should at least not dismiss out of hand that we can treat those two concepts differently. Um, so let's see. Uh, we have one more super chat here. The Ruam. Hey, thanks for clearing this up. Fanboys are running wild. LOL. Hey, I'm out here just trying to give my two cents on exactly what's happening. You can take it or leave it. Reasonable minds can differ on these kinds of things, but I do think console warriors are too quick to jump on reporting like this. So I thought it was important to try to get out there, talk with you all, answer questions, and otherwise talk through this whole post. And I, I think basically... Uh, that's it. Microsoft feels like they're just arguing against Game Pass. Uh, they request this to go straight through on Brazil. And, and that's basically what I wanted to get across uh, today. So with that said, we're just about uh, at the end of the substance here in virtual legality. But what do you all think, right? It's not just fanboys that think this is important stuff. What do you think about Microsoft's strategy? What do you think about Sony's strategy? Do you think Sony has even a branch to land on with respect to the question about whether or not Game Pass and subscription services can actually still deliver to us games of the kind that Sony has now, at least in its modern history, made its hay in delivering, like Last of Us or God of War or Ghost of Tsushima or anything like that. I'm not as willing to dismiss it as some. And I know Microsoft is sitting out there saying, this all works, we're making money hand over fist, consumers are super thrilled, and I still think we're in such early days for Game Pass and those contracts and concerns about royalties and making revenues make sense and ends meet that we're still in an area where I'm not positive that those games can be delivered at that level. And I don't think Microsoft has proven that they can be delivered at that level just yet. So while I'm entirely in favor of exploring with these business models, I wouldn't stop this deal for any of the reasons that Sony has put forth. I do not begrudge Sony from making the claims that it made. And I honestly think that Microsoft probably came out swinging a bit more powerfully than both I would have expected and I would have liked to have seen here, right? Microsoft can understand what Sony is doing. They're both sophisticated business operations. And yet we get this kind of angry, aggressive approach to answers. I do want to give a grain of salt to that. Of course, this is translated. It might be super chill in Portuguese. And I know everybody was doing their best. VGC, IDAS at Reset Era, who I very uh, thank to, for putting out a translation like this. We just don't know what we don't know uh, on all of this. Um, so that's 
what we've got right here. I do have a note that I apparently didn't come up over on my version of StreamYard with Jennifer, a member here. You can become a member of the channel if you're so interested, saying, check out that amazing hat. Where can I get it? This virtual legality hat is going to be in our new store very, very soon. But we're still working on tying up some of those wires and making sure uh, that everything is ready and that we're not you know, running afoul of tax laws or anything like that uh, around the world. So thank you for asking. It will be there. I am wearing different hats this week than I usually do because we do have some hats uh, to show off. Other than that, this has been Virtual Legality for today. Thank you so much for joining me, everyone. Tell your friends we're having these conversations. Do all that fun YouTube stuff, and I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Thanks, everybody. Do share it around. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.